Good morning. It is good to be back with you this morning. Um, we were grateful to uh, be away last week for some family Thanksgiving, but I'm also grateful to be back. Before we left, um, we shared with as many people as we could Sunday evening and through social media and talking to people in conversation uh, that, um, that I've accepted a call to become the pastor of, of the Church of the Nazarene in Newark, Ohio. That'll begin on January 12th. Knowing that, we're really glad to be back here with our church family in Parkersburg. We plan to make the most of the next month together, and our family will be kind of splitting time between here and there for about six months, or at least until school is out. Um, I'm, also, I'm also grateful to be back to the sermon series that we're preaching this month. We actually chose it before I knew any of that would happen, uh, but the name of the sermon series is Family Christmas. I want to say thank you to Pastor Sidney for kicking off that uh, series last week. She talked about the mothers in Jesus' family, and I'm sure that you found the life story of the mothers in Jesus' family rather interesting, uh, did you not? Um, we always make sure that we have children's church on the day we tell those stories, for sure. She did a great job uh, with some difficult, difficult stories in Scripture. But there's no question about it. During the month of December, when we're thinking about Christmas and the cold nights and that, that wintertime hunger that we get, um, mothers are essential for the good family Christmas. Truth is, when you think about it, mothers are essential for a family, uh, obviously, as well. Think about it for a minute, you'll get that. But uh, there's more to families than just mothers. When my kids were little, you knew there was more to the family gathering than just mothers if you just listened to them for about a month before the family gathering happened. You see, my kids, before the family gathering would happen, would ask the same question over and over and over again. For about a month before the family got together, they would always ask, are the cousins coming yet? Are the cousins coming yet? When are the cousins coming? Which cousins are coming? Dad, Mom, how many cousins are coming? That last question was pretty important, and we really needed to know how many were coming because due to births and adoptions and foster care and, and folks that just took care of kids for a while in my family, my kids had like 20 to 25 cousins during that time. <clears throat> we use the term also for, we use the term cousin also for, for people that were, well, they were sort of related to us, but we didn't know how. We just called them cousins. And, and for my kids anyway, when the family got together for the big celebration, it was absolutely essential that there would be some cousins. The more cousins, the better. Now, now some of you are probably sitting here thinking to yourself, well, well Pastor, that's all well and good, but um, you don't know some of my cousins. In my family, Pastor, we have that cousin. Mm, yeah, I heard an amen out there. I won't say where it came from. You know the one, that cousin. Yes, I, I, I know. I know about that cousin. You see, I happen to have a cousin in my family 
who answers to the name Uncle Shave. His nephews call him that because my cousin Dave has an incredible talent for growing hair. In his early 20s, he had a thick, long beard that came halfway down to his waist. It was curly and blonde. He had thick, long, curly hair. He, he kind of looked like a lion. The kids were enamored. Uncle Shave was burly and strong and rambunctious, and he would get on the floor, and he would play with them, and he would wrestle around with them. They absolutely loved that. He lives in Colorado, and he works construction, but the way he dresses and the way he looks, he could tell you that he was a lumberjack, and you'd believe him in a heartbeat. He just, he just looks like he walked off the mountain every time you see him, and the truth of the matter is Uncle Shave sounds like he walked off the mountain every time you see him. When Uncle Shave started telling stories, the kids would always lean in to hear what wonders that he was going to tell about. The kids wanted to learn the stories by heart so they could repeat them when they got back to school after the break. He told about eating gross stuff the few years that he attempted college. College wasn't really for him. He was, he was an outdoors kind of guy. Um, he, he, told friends, he told about friends in the dorm room daring him to eat things like worms grasshoppers the kids wrinkled up their noses but we could tell they were eating up every word he said the kids would lean in wanting to remember every story and we adults we would lean in as well we wanted to hear every story chiefly because we wanted to figure out how to deprogram the kids after the Christmas gathering with Uncle Shave I can remember some whispered prayers oh God may my girls only remember the good part of this conversation from Uncle Shave to Clark Griswold's brother to the one in your family, just about every person has that relative. You never know how they're going to dress. You never know what they're going to say. But they're always there at the family gathering. Just about everybody has that crazy, wild cousin if you've got that relative in your family or if you are that relative in your family i've got some good news for you jesus had that relative in his family too matthew chapter 3 describes jesus wild distant cousin john if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to begin to read with verse 1. Let's stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God from Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, re proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight his paths. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Oh, Jesus, we pray today 
that you would use your strange cousin to teach us about your wonderful ways and to change our lives, to change our city. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Camel hair, locusts, wild honey. Yep. John was that cousin, but not just to Jesus. In a way, all of Israel is Jesus' family, and John is the wild cousin to all of them. He lives in the legacy of the prophets that God used to get people's attention so that they would hear the word of God spoken to them. If I showed up today and I wore camel hair and and ate a few bugs, I bet you'd listen real carefully, wouldn't you? Truth is, if I did that this morning, I'd just be putting on and playing a part in the moment for right now. But John's wildness, John's strangeness began way before this. The book of Luke says that cousin John was a handful even before he was born. When Jesus' mother Mary discovered that she was with child, she ran off to the hills and and went to her, her relative Elizabeth because the strange thing is, though Elizabeth was old and barren, she was with child in her old age. The minute Mary walked into the room and greeted Elizabeth, John started turning backflips inside of Elizabeth. Later, John was a handful, but I guess you could say when he, was a, when he was in utero, he was probably a wombful. We don't hear about John again, really, much, until he steps out from the wilderness and he starts talking and baptizing people in the Jordan. Some scholars think that John had spent some time with a group of people out in the wilderness called the Essenes. They were a part of the, the family of Israel, but they were the part that didn't attend the reunions. You know, you have those people in your family. The Essenes thought that the way to be holy and righteous was to remove themselves completely from anyone that could taint them. They didn't participate in the world. They lived in caves, cloistered away from life, self-sustaining. They were a self-sustaining population of horsehair-wearing, beard-growing, locust-eating monks. If Jesus' cousin John did spend some time with them, he didn't buy all of their philosophy. When he went to the Jordan, he was surrounded by people. He went out to the people. And like our eccentric celebrities on the internet or on television, and like Uncle Shave in my family, John became a rock star for the family of Israel. The family of Israel showed up, crowded up, listened up to hear what he would say. But they came for almost the opposite reason that we gather around our celebrities and the kids gather around Uncle Shave at the gatherings in my family. My cousin, Uncle Shave, he tells long stories. The kids like the long stories. They just lean into the long stories, and and the stories just seem to go on and on and on forever. At the end of one really long story about hunting and then eating gross stuff and then getting pulled over by a police officer, and then the next scene and the next scene, Uncle Shave told us that he was 
he was peering into the back of a pickup because somebody had showed up at his house after all the excitement and said, hey, you gotta, you got to see what I've got in the back of my truck. you got to see what you've got in the back of my truck. And he kept saying, I don't want to go out there. I don't want and the man just kept saying, you got to see what's in the back of my truck. And, and finally, Uncle Shave said, I started to put on my shoes, and I walked out, and, and the guy kept saying, you got to see what's in the back of my truck. And, and by the time he got to the back of the truck, we were all in the living room, leaning in, listening to what he said. And then Uncle Shave said, I looked into the back of the truck, and it was dark, but I could barely make out what was in the back of the truck. We're all leaning in, and he looks up, and he says, you know what was in the back of the truck? And we're like, what? He said, all the baloney I've been feeding you for the last 15 minutes. The kids loved to listen to Uncle Shave's stories because they were constantly guessing about which ones were true and which ones he was making up. And I'll leave, leave it to you what the percentage was. When he said that, everyone groaned and shook their heads and waved him off and went back to the table for seconds. When Jesus' cousin John spoke, his words didn't have the cool allure of fantasy. They had the drawing heat of intense truth spoken to people who were not used to hearing truth about themselves. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, It says this, But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. The Pharisees and Sadducees were two other parts of the family of Israel. Unlike the Essenes, the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't hide from the world. In fact, they lived out loud and they lived large but each of those groups had different ways of engaging with the world. The Sadducees were like our politically minded uncles. You know, the ones who are going to show up at the family reunion and make everybody incredibly uncomfortable by talking about politics. You know, you have that uncle. Maybe you are that uncle. Maybe I am. I don't know. The Sadducees thought that the best way to be ready for the kingdom of God was to cozy up to political power. They wanted to make the kingdom come through supporting an earthly leader and getting everyone else to as truly faithful to support the earthly chosen leader. They wanted everybody to support the emperor. Like a lot of religious people, the Sadducees followed earthly power. They thought that would lead them into the kingdom of God. The Pharisees totally rejected that idea completely. They didn't follow earthly power. In fact, they, they spent their time making sure earthly power wasn't really their leader. They thought they could pre prepare for the kingdom of God by a strict adherence to the law. They washed their hands just right. They didn't carry too much or walk too far on the Sabbath. They mostly displayed their readiness for the kingdom of God by what they didn't do. They didn't associate with people who didn't do things the way they thought they should be done. The Pharisees are kind of like that aunt at the family gathering who, who functions as the etiquette police. She knows what fork you're supposed to use and what part of the meal. She has very strong opinions about who has acted righteously and appropriately since last Christmas and who has not. And her verbal slights and snide comments make very clear whose behavior she approves of and whose she doesn't. 
Essenes think they can hide and wait for the kingdom of God. Pharisees think they can follow rules into the kingdom of God. Sadducees think they can follow earthly political power into the kingdom of God. And then there in the wilderness by the Jordan River, John the Baptist shows up. The crazy cousin of Israel shows up at the family reunion by the Jordan. And just to make sure that all these groups are comfortable and can get along, he speaks with great tenderness and compassion, and he calls them snakes. That's right. He calls them a brood, a family of vipers. Yep, John is that cousin. You know, the one you're just wondering, what's going to come out of his mouth next? But let's be honest. When, when John calls the power hungry and the legalist and the recluse of snakes, we just want to cheer. You see, the truth is most of us don't go to the family reunion to, to, to cower by ourselves. We don't go to the family reunion to, to seek earthly power and, and talk politics. We don't go to the family reunion to figure out who's been naughty and who's been nice and check off boxes and, and hold up moral measuring sticks. Most of us know what Christmas dinner is about. We know that, that those holiday gatherings, they're, they're about the family, right? We should probably keep listening to our cousin John, if that's what we think. Matthew chapter 3, verse 9 says this, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children to Abraham. First rule of thumb. If you want to be well received at the family gathering, don't attack the family. John shows up in his camel hair ugly sweater with bug breath and tells them that blood connection to the family of Israel does not get them ready for the kingdom of God. Our sermon series this month is Family Christmas. Hallmark and other greeting companies certainly think Christmas is all about your family, and I hope you have a great time with your family between now and 2020. But Advent and Christmas is about one very, very specific family one day when Jesus was in a house, the disciple came to him and said, Your mother and brothers are outside. They're asking for you. He shot right back to them. Those who do the will of my Father in heaven are my mother and my brother and my sisters. Here by the fireplace, I want to play the part of your crazy cousin and say at Advent and Christmas, these moments need to be more than just sentimental family gatherings. Advent, and really all of life, it needs to be about being ready for the second coming of Jesus. Cloistering with your own and hiding from the world gone wrong won't make you ready. Following earthly power hungry for some of your own power, or even our own power, as a church won't make us ready 
following rules and building a pristine reputation won't make us ready. And no, not even sentimental family gatherings will make us ready either. The kingdom of God isn't about being a recluse. It isn't about being earthly rulers or following earthly rulers. And it isn't even about following religious rules. The kingdom of God isn't even about having good relatives or being one. Our wild cousin John is going to tell us what the kingdom of God is about, but before that, he needs to tell his own followers something else that the kingdom of God is not about. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is coming is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. You may have sat here this morning and remembered a few times over the past years when I've played the part of the crazy cousin in the family of God that gathers here on Sunday mornings. One day I dressed up as Job and I broke things on the platform. You remember that? Another day I dressed up as Abraham and I groused about my no-good nephew Lot for 30 minutes. You remember that? Another day I dressed up as Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, and more recently I spewed soda everywhere up here. I'm sure you've sat there at some point in the last seven years, looked up there and shook your head and thought, did that really just come out of his mouth? I just want to say thanks for listening to the wild cousin in God's family. I really appreciate it. Earl and the girls and I have thoroughly enjoyed our time doing life in this family of faith. You've helped us to raise our kids to follow after Jesus, and we will never, ever forget you for that. We've also seen some very powerful things happen here. Lots of awesome moments where we got to love our community together. And amongst the greatest times that I've gotten to be a part of were the parts and the times when I got to be the hands and the voice of this community of faith when we baptized people. (laughs) Truth is, one time we did it outside in a creek. You remember that? Our crazy cousin John would have been proud of that, I think. We've seen some people turn and follow Jesus. We've loved our community. We took 22 people to a different continent to share the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changed the little town in the jungle, and it changed us too. But here's the thing. You know as well as I do, none of that has really been all about me. Every prayer prayed, every sermon preached, every meeting, every conversation I've had has all been about preparing for one who is greater than me. Jesus, the Son of God, came as a baby so long ago. And he'll come again one day in glory. And it's all about us being ready for that moment. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, and I was certainly never worthy to be your pastor. But by the grace of God, God has called me to be your crazy cousin who listened to God and then told you what I thought I heard him saying. And always in the words of John, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Folks, the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. If you're tempted to hide from a broken world, repent and engage. The kingdom of God is near. If you're tempted to follow some list of rules and try to make it into the kingdom of God, repent of that. 
Jesus and only Jesus is the way. If you're tempted to follow earthly power, repent of that. The real king came long ago. He's coming again. His character is unimpeachable. He's never up for re-election. There will be no referendum on him. He is the king, and he will never, ever, for any reason, cease to be the king. He is returning, and we've got to be ready. And if you're tempted to settle for following me, or any of your other crazy cousin preachers like me. Repent of that right now. Ask God to open your heart to the one who we preachers are constantly talking about. Matthew chapter 3, the last part of verse 11 and verse 12 says this, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor. And he will gather the wheat into the granary and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The winnowing fork is that thing that they throw the wheat up in the air with so that it can be separated and kept and the chaff is collected and it's burned. If we're going to be ready for the coming of Christ, if we're going to be ready for Christmas round two, all those ways of securing our own kingdom have to be consumed in the fire of God's Holy Spirit. Earlier on in verse 10, John said these words, Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In a few weeks, our family will gather for a Christmas celebration on Erla's brother's farm. Um, there'll be cousins everywhere. He has a fireplace in one place in his house, and he has also one of those outdoor wood-burning stoves. Those things are amazing. They consume a ton of wood. They build an incredibly hot fire, hotter, hotter than you could ever have in your house. But they're about, they're about 40 feet from the house out in the yard, and they heat they heat water in pipes that go under the ground and into the house and into the main heating system of the house, and that's where the heat source comes from. It also heats the water that they use in their showers and in their sinks. It's this incredible, incredible invention that he uses out there on his farm. The thing is, though, it takes way more wood than any other kind of wood stove. So at some point in the, in the family gathering there, all of us cousins will push away from the table We'll bundle up, not, not very much though, because we're going to be working pretty hard. We'll go out and we'll spread out all over his 500-acre farm that has lots of wooded areas on it. We'll find dead trees and down trees. You know, what you, you know when a dead tree is, right? One that doesn't bear any fruit. We'll go find all that dead stuff and we'll cut it down and we'll cut it up. And for about three or four hours, the farm will be noisy with about five or six chainsaws and about five or six splitting malls. And we'll, we'll be making all kinds of racket and all kinds of very sore muscles and probably some blistered hands. But if after about three or four hours, right next to that great big wood stove out in the yard will be a pile of wood higher than my head and longer than you want to pile it up. We do that every year because we have to for them to be ready for what's coming. You see, the winter's coming. And if the winter's coming, you've got to make sure you go find everything that's dead and cut it down, and bring it close to the fire. So that you're ready for the winter. Ladies and gentlemen, the king is coming. He came a long time ago, he's coming again, and your crazy cousin has showed up to you today to tell you that if there's something fruitless 
in your life. If there's something that's dead and dying and not producing anything in who you are. It may be one of the things that we talked about today that Israel's dealing with. A, a reclusive side or a, a box-checking, rule-checking spirit that criti- criticizes everybody else. It may be a hunger for power or a trust in earthly power. It may be even something else. If there's something fruitless and dying, if we're going to be ready for the king that's coming, the axe has to go to the root of the tree. We've got to cut it down. We've got to cut it up. We've got to bring it to the fire of the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to consume all the dead and the dying, all the dead wood and all the chaff. So we're ready for the king who's coming. I'm going to invite our musicians to come and to prepare to lead us in a song this morning. These altars, they're, they're made out of wood somebody once cut down. They're a good place. They're a good place to bring whatever's fruitless in your life and offer it to the Lord and allow the, the fire of the Holy Spirit to consume what needs to be cut down and offered up. <laughs> the Old Testament is interesting. There's a story where it says somebody cuts down a, a tree and out of one log they, they make an idol and out of another log they, or out of the same log they use the other part and, and create a fire to warm themselves. If there's something that you're trusting in besides the Lord, better to bring it to the fire of the Holy Spirit then put your faith in whatever else it is. Let's stand together this morning. The altar is open to receive whatever you bring for the fire of the Holy Spirit to consume.